Welcome to Devotions in the Deep End. I'm Cam Buchanan, and this is a carefully crafted devotional journey through the New Testament. Let's venture into deeper water as we consider what it means to follow Jesus in the world we live in now. Welcome back to Devotions in the Deep End. We are still working our way through a key piece of the New Testament, known to us as the Sermon on the Mount. The passage we're going to look at in this episode is found in Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 to 20. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Before we move on, I'd like to clarify just a couple of bits here. The law in this passage refers to the first five books of the Old Testament, which are accredited to the pen of Moses. The prophets in this passage refers to the rest of the Hebrew scriptures. It was both a deeply loved and revered document, but a clearly onerous one too. There were extremists among the Jews who considered this law to be too much of a millstone around their necks. But there were Pharisees in the audience too, considered by some the other extreme. For them, the law and the prophets was the backbone of the Hebrew existence. So they would be getting a little bit nervous at this time. Jesus has been talking about the kingdom of God in a whole new way. He has been making intriguing interpretations of the law and has been making the rounds with this style of teaching for at least a year as we come to this point in the scriptures. It's fair to suggest that by now, almost everyone will be asking a major question. Is following Jesus and the kingdom way going to come at the expense of the law and the prophets? In response to all that speculation, Jesus makes some really big statements, things only someone with divine authority would dare to speak out, let alone try to carry out. In terms of the law of Moses, Jesus' first promise is that he is not going to abolish it. There's no overthrowing the law. There's no nullifying it or rendering it useless. Jesus was very much aware of what the law said. He was, after all, there when it was carved in stone. But more importantly, he knew why it was said. So with this in mind, he then states that his ministry is to fulfill it, to carry out the law in full. Let me help you capture the gravity of that statement. To completely fulfill the law and the prophets, here's what had to happen. First, all of that Old Testament prophetic literature which pointed to a Messiah would need to occur. To some degree, that's actually the easier part. Jesus was simply born to the right time and location for much of that to fall into place. But he then had to master every part of the law. Humanly speaking, this had been proven to be impossible. The Pharisees were doing their very best, but still came up well short. We know this to be true because sacrifices were still taking place. To master it, Jesus had to uphold every rule. Bear in mind, 
that law actually contains more than 2,000 pieces of legislation. It's much more than just the Ten Commandments. Jesus would need to uphold these 2,000 plus laws in complete, undeviated obedience and observation right down to the most minute detail. We are talking here about utter perfection. And then there were all those prescribed sacrifices. Well, as a sinless man, there would be no need to offer them. But fulfilling them for Jesus was more ominous than that. He would in fact be those sacrifices. Our very salvation depends not just on Jesus getting to the cross, not just suffering and declaring things finished, but living till his mid-thirties in complete perfection in the eyes of that law. So the one who invites us into complete allegiance to a new kingdom is going to make this possible by completely fulfilling the requirements of the old way. We should note here that not one part of God's word previously spoken is overridden by Jesus. Not once does he apologize or distance himself from the God of the Old Testament or from any part of what is written. As far as Jesus is concerned, this is still the perfect will of his Father on display. Instead, the revelation of God the Old Testament provides is being made fuller or being fully accomplished by the ministry of Jesus. Even the big thing Jesus is known for, the great commandment to love God and love each other, was actually Jesus repeating a command from Leviticus. Jesus is teaching here that this law would have elements that will continue. In our passage, we read a promise, not even the smallest detail, not even a pen stroke of God's law will disappear. And the caveat Jesus offers, though, is this, until its purpose is achieved. We are shown in the New Testament that elements of the law were completely fulfilled in Jesus' ministry, and most notably, the work of the cross. Hebrews chapter 10 tells us that the Old Testament call for animal sacrifice was fulfilled when Jesus paid in blood once and for all for humankind's sin. The law called for the death of either an animal or person for their wicked ways, but this was fulfilled with the death of Jesus. The penalties that the law called for was placed on him, and humankind through faith could now be released from that debt. We know from the law that our wickedness arouses God's anger. The book of Romans reveals that Christ was willing to endure that outpouring of wrath in our place. The Old Testament way of a designated priesthood interceding and sacrificing for the people was also fulfilled at the cross. We are told in Matthew 27 that a big curtain in the temple tore in two. We will look at that in the future, but this signified the start of a new priesthood one that 1 Peter says extends to all believers. The Old Testament called for certain actions, rituals, festivals, sacrifices among God's people. And we see in the New Testament that these anticipated the work of Christ. Once Jesus arrived and completed his earthly ministry, these things had, as Jesus taught, fulfilled their purpose. Later, Paul would explain this more in a few helpful places. And Galatians chapter 3, verses 15 to 22 is one really good example. Dear brothers and sisters, here's an example from everyday life. Just as no one can set aside or amend an irrevocable agreement, so it is in this case. God gave the promises to Abraham and his child. And notice that the scripture doesn't say to his children as if it meant many descendants. 
Father, it says to his child, and that, of course, means Christ. This is what I'm trying to say. The agreement God made with Abraham could not be cancelled 430 years later when God gave the law to Moses. God would be breaking his promise. For if the inheritance could be received by keeping the law, then it would not be the result of accepting God's promise. But God graciously gave it to Abraham as a promise. Why then was the law given? It was given alongside the promise to show people their sins. But the law was designed to last only until the coming of the child who was promised. God gave his law through angels to Moses, who was the mediator between God and the people. Now a mediator is helpful if more than one party must reach an agreement. But God, who is one, did not use a mediator when he gave his promise to Abraham. Is there a conflict then between God's law and God's promises? Absolutely not. If the law could give us new life, we could be made right with God by obeying it. But the scriptures declare that we are all prisoners of sin. So we receive God's promise of freedom only by believing in Jesus Christ. Let's flesh this out a little bit. There was a promise made long before the law of Moses was established. It was a promise to raise up a godly nation. Abraham became the patriarch of this nation, and the glory of God was supposed to be on display through their lives. This nation would go on to be the birthplace of God's Savior for all of humankind. That Savior would make a way for not just the nation, but for all of humanity to become that separated people. These are really big promises being made by God here. In between the promise and the realization of that promise came the measuring rod of the Lord, the Hebrew Mosaic law. This measuring rod was strict and called for an exact measure from those who followed it. But would the realized Savior, the realized promise, remove that measuring rod altogether? That is the thought behind Paul's question to the Galatians. Is there a conflict between the law and the promise? As we look at the words of Jesus at the start of this episode, the answer appears clear. No, there is not. Later on in Romans chapter 3, verse 31, Paul would make himself a little clearer. Do we then nullify the law by this faith? Not at all. Rather, we uphold the law. In the kingdom now, Jesus fulfilled the immediate and necessary gaps of the law that humans could not. He kept the integrity of the prophets by accomplishing a significant amount of what the Lord said through them. And in the kingdom to come, we will see that every part of the prophets would indeed come to pass. And every part of the law will have finally achieved its purpose. In the end, under the new kingdom way, our faith alone would be enough to be in right standing with the holy God that is presented to us in the law. Not the sacrifices, not the ritual, not the checklist of doing everything exactly right. Jesus' ministry and death dealt with all that. Jesus' position on the law and the prophets is that he is in the business of facilitating its fulfillment. And a really significant part of that is well and truly done. The rest will be complete right before we all step into that realm called eternity. So after Jesus is done explaining his position regarding the law and the prophets, he then turns his attention to ours. First, he says to continue to live out and teach the law of the Lord. Part of this is the journey of understanding the law in such a way 
that we truly grasp that which is fulfilled and that which is still to be fulfilled. It's a mysterious reality here that the God of the Old Testament, who was righteous and holy, is the God who became a man in Christ. If Christ is divine as we truly believe, we need to grasp the mystery that the commandments spoken to Moses actually involved Jesus. And his fingerprints are all over the Old Testament from creation onwards. So when Jesus verified and built upon the law in his teaching in Galilee, and when he comes as both a fulfiller and an upholder of the law, we need to take hold of the gravity of that. Elements like prescribed sacrifice and ritual are clearly no longer necessary because Jesus clearly dealt with those things. They are fulfilled. But there is a moral line of right and wrong. There is a call to holy and righteous living that the Old Testament calls for among God's people. And this still applies in believers today. Adultery, theft, lying, murder, idolatry, these are all still sinful things. Loving God and loving your neighbor as yourself are still good things. To ignore anything God commands, regardless of the testament it comes from, is to undermine the authority of God in our life. Jesus gives a good outlook for us here as we consider the Old Testament law. The things which are unfulfilled remain intact. If their purpose is still valid, it still applies. And just as Jesus' audience gets their minds around what he has just said, he then throws in one last curveball. Keep living your lives according to the righteous standard laid out in the law. But I want you to do it a little bit different to the Pharisees. I want you to have a righteousness that exceeds theirs. On the surface, this looks like a pretty tough thing to comprehend. One can imagine the audience looking at each other with a degree of despair. Is that even possible? They watched the Pharisees. They saw the regular and loud prayer times. They saw the devotion that they displayed and demanded in everyone else. They felt the constant gaze of these men who were aggressively making sure no one put a foot wrong. The Pharisees had labored to extensively define the law of Moses for the common man. And they had determined that out of those 2,000 plus legislations, the public could get by with just 248 of them as well as 365 prohibitions. And the Pharisees were quite vocal about the public keeping every single one. So on the surface, being more righteous than a Pharisee was going to be really difficult. To Jesus' audience, it wasn't humanly possible to live like that. And that was precisely the point Jesus is making. Jesus is not making righteousness an impossible task by any stretch here. In fact, he's making it far more possible than the disciples had ever heard before. You see, all the Pharisees had in their faith was actually on the surface. They had formal obedience. They had outer expression. They made a loud noise. They gave a good show and a good sense of knowledge about God. But they had nothing going on inside. Because ultimately, the old way could only deal with the external understanding of sin. The righteousness that Jesus is calling for is not going to excel because of quantity or degree. It is going to excel because it was a different kind of righteousness altogether. It was an inward thing that reflected their genuine heart knowledge of God. It was something that operated from a godly mind and motivation, a God-given heart righteousness that surpassed the surface righteousness of the Pharisees.
And amazingly, it was a righteousness that was predicted in the prophets concerning the arrival of the Messiah. We read about this in Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 31 to 34. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Israel because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbors or say to one another, Know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. Let's reflect a little bit on that now. It has been recently suggested that about 85% of all Christians have not taken a full reading journey through the Bible. I would really encourage you to engage with the Old Testament a little bit more than that. Jesus came to fulfill it, not abolish it. And reading it as a believer is actually quite amazing when you know what you're looking for. Let me offer you a few guidelines for a Christian reading of the Old Testament. First, look for the heart of God in what you read. There is God's love on display. There is deep sadness at human failure. There is the constant desire to redeem and continual warnings before any punishment is handed down, like lots of it. And there is a continual thread of God's faithfulness to his people. Even when they stray, he is at work bringing them back again. Second, look for the holiness of God in what you read. The law was put in place to show the people this very trait. In God's holiness, sin is not tolerated and cannot stand defiantly in his presence. Sin always calls for atonement. In the Old Testament, there was sacrifice. And in the New Testament, there was Christ. Third, see the hope that comes from God as you read. Throughout all of the Old Testament, there is the promise of Jesus. God's desire was to make relationship and fellowship with him an unrestricted reality, and Jesus was the key to that. And finally, filter it through the words of Jesus in the passage we've read in this episode. If you are certain that it's clearly fulfilled in the ministry of Jesus, reflect on that with thankfulness. Some parts are pretty clear to find, others not quite so. So you're going to need to work that through with your own convictions and with the help of other fellow learners. If it has clearly not been fulfilled, stick to the plan until further notice. We're about to start looking at how Jesus interacts with certain elements of the law of Moses. But for now, we're going to finish this episode with a word of prayer. Jesus, thank you that you fulfilled the major parts of the law. Thank you for your sacrifice on the cross, which purchased my salvation. And thank you for making matters of the law more relatable in how you presented them. Help me to interact with the Old Testament with bravery and clarity. Help me to see your heart, your holiness and hope as I read those sacred pages. And help me to live out this righteousness that you give to me with your law written in my heart through the work of grace. Amen. Thanks for tuning in. To stay in touch, like our devotions in the Deep End Facebook page and subscribe on Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcasts. I look forward to catching up next time.